This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... Global central banks have been raising rates quite aggressively, so countries have been shut out. You have Ghana that was shut out since last year, Kenya, Nigeria, and many others. That's Tatonga Ruski, an economist focusing on Africa for the Bank of America on countries facing debt crisis. Details coming up. Also, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights says hostilities in Ethiopia's Tigray region are devastating civilians. A governor in Somalia offers rewards of up to $25,000 for killing an Al-Shabaab militant. And Sudan's main political coalition presents its vision for a transition from military rule to elections. We have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story as fighting rages in northern Ethiopia and the government's vowing to seize control of airports and other sites in the country's Tigray region. United Nations Chief Antonio Guterres yesterday has warned the situation in Tigray is spiraling out of control. William Davison is a senior analyst for Ethiopia at the International Crisis Group. I asked him to talk to us about the latest in Ethiopia's Tigray region. Conflict in, in Tigray region. We've seen significant military advances by the Eritrean and Ethiopian forces in recent days, including the taking control of Shire, um, the second largest city in Tigray. But this has also been accompanied by the bombardment of residential areas, reports of mass displacement, and some claims of atrocities against civilians. Mr. Guterres and, and others, including Crisis Group, are very worried that we will see continued resistance uh, of a different form from Tigray's forces. Um, and we have stated commitment from the federal authorities. They want to try and take control of Tigray, essentially, you know, which means more fighting to come. And it, it is likely um, that civilians will increasingly be targeted and, and trapped in the middle of this conflict situation. But Mr. Davison, Prime Minister Abiy is saying uh, in a statement that he is committed to the peaceful resolution of the conflict through the AU-led uh, peace talks. He's not really addressing the ceasefire call. What is really the intention of the Ethiopian government? It looks like a, a blitzkrieg well, is going on uh, in that area right now. Well, uh, yes, I think the, the, obviously the federal government, um, its, its position is that uh, for various reasons, it wants to reestablish federal authority over Tigray. The problem is that that's going to face the continued resistance um, from, the, from the Tigray authorities and, and their forces. Um, and that campaign seems to have plenty of popular support in Tigray. Um, and so, you know, yes, that's what the, the federal government is saying. They're still committed to the AU process. But that seems to be a rather nominal commitment when their activity on the ground is continued military operations, likely to face this fierce resistance and, and likely to lead to increased targeting of civilians, um, but particularly by the Eritrean and Ethiopian forces. What is Eritrea's uh, main goal? But the problem, one of the problems with the Eritrean government is it's not clear um, about what its activities are, let alone what its objectives, your justification. But we can assume that you're know, seeing as Eritrea's leadership are 
uh, your arch enemies of the TPLF, the Great Ruling Party, and their leadership, that they are looking to essentially completely eliminate the TPLF as a political force. Um, also, I think they want to downsize Tigray um, itself. Um, they see these Tigray forces as an existential threat to Eritrea. There's also a long-term sort of political rivalry between the two political communities as well. So that seems to be the, the sort of objective that they have in mind, but we cannot be clear because um, they are not forthcoming about their activities. So what what do you see in the next uh, few days or weeks? The end game, what is it? Well, it's very hard to tell. There's, there's a number of different scenarios, of course. Uh, unfortunately, one of the things that we can be fairly sure about um, now is that we will see continued Eritrean and Ethiopian federal offensives. There will be continued uh, serious, sustained armed resistance, widespread armed resistance from the Tigray forces. There's likely to be a lot more bloodshed. We can assume that the international community, you know, actors such as the US, European Union, they will try and increase the pressure um, and, and try and get the, 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 the Alitabwa and Asmara to call off this offensive, but we don't know yet whether that will be successful. So unfortunately, the likelihood is that we, we, we will see uh, more fighting, more bloodshed, more targeting of civilians. But exactly you know, how things will unfold um, on the battlefield, will the federal government be able to take control of, of Mekalei Great capital in short order, um, that type of thing, um, that's a little bit hard to, to foresee and, and predict. William Davison is a senior analyst for Ethiopia, the International Crisis Group. He spoke to me from Kenya's capital, Nairobi. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk, says the escalating hostilities in Ethiopia's northern Tigray region are taking a devastating toll on the civilian population and must stop. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. UN Rights Chief Volker Turk is alarmed at the latest surge of airstrikes launched on the Tigray region by the Ethiopian Air Force. He warns the attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure risks worsening what already is a catastrophic situation. The High Commissioner's spokeswoman, Ravina Shantasani, says numerous reports have been received since August 31st of civilian casualties and destruction of civilian objects due to airstrikes and artillery strikes in Tigray. On civilian casualties, as I said, yes, because of the communication um, disruptions and difficulty accessing um, the, the sites, uh, we don't have a comprehensive figure. What we have managed to document uh, from the 31st August um, to date, there have reportedly been at least 31 civilians, including children, killed and 73 other others wounded in 14 separate airstrikes launched by the Ethiopian Air Force in the Tigray region, including in Mekele, Shire and other parts of Tigray. Um, but of course, this is very likely to be um, extremely underestimated um, because of the, the constraints that I mentioned. Fighting between the Ethiopian government and Tigray and rebels resumed August 24th, ending a five-month-long humanitarian truce. Since the conflict began nearly two years ago, millions of Tigrayans have been displaced. The United Nations estimates half a million people have died from conflict, hunger, disease, and lack of medical care. More than five million people need humanitarian assistance. Shamdasani says the High Commissioner is concerned by mobilization exercises involving military reservists in Eritrea, as well as the Tigrayan Armed Forces and the Ethiopian Armed Forces. She says the High Commissioner is appealing to all parties to stop fighting and work towards a peaceful and lasting solution.
Parties to the conflict must respect international human rights law and international humanitarian law by taking all feasible measures to protect civilians and civilian objects and allowing humanitarian assistance to reach those in need. The High Commissioner stressed the need to support all efforts towards ensuring accountability for gross violations and abuses of international human rights law and international humanitarian law committed during the conflict. Shamdasani says the Human Rights Office has raised its concerns with the Ethiopian government. She says it has been urging the government to hold accountable perpetrators of serious human rights violations in Tigray. Unfortunately, she notes, progress in this regard has been extremely slow. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Sudan's main political coalition has presented its vision for a transition from military rule to elections. Reuters says, under the plan by the Forces for Freedom and Change Coalition, FFC, the military would no longer be involved in politics or in the cabinet. It says Sudan's sovereign council, which had served as Sudan's collective head of state, would be civilian and chosen by revolutionary forces. The legislature would be open to all parties except for the National Congress Party of former President Omar al-Bashir. An agreement with the military would also create a security and defense council. The board, which would be headed by a prime minister, would be led by civilians and would include representatives from the army and security services. Reuters says the arrangement would last for two years until elections. A few months ago, the leaders of the military which took power last year said they planned to leave politics, but they did not give a timetable. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Please note we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. The United Nations Development Program says global crisis sparked by events such as the COVID-19 pandemic and the war in Ukraine mean 54 countries, many in Africa, need urgent debt relief. The agency warns that economic pressures in developing countries mean they cannot pay debt or get new financing. The UNDP says the situation threatens to plunge half the world's poor people into even more extreme poverty. Darren Taylor reports. According to the International Monetary Fund and World Bank, 14 African nations, including Chad, Ethiopia, Tunisia and Zambia, already in serious debt crisis. The organizations have repeatedly criticized China, the biggest creditor to many African countries and private lenders for not reducing debt burdens. Africa as a whole is not in a debt crisis. There are some countries that are facing strains and probably in um, high risk of debt distress. Tatonga Rusikes, an economist focusing on Africa for the Bank of America. 
He told a recent CNBC Africa webinar, some African countries that have access to international markets have high debt, but that's more attributable to financing problems than an actual debt crisis. The challenge is the global story, which speaks to the eurobond market that countries are not able to access. Global central banks have been raising rates quite aggressively, so countries have been shut out. You have Ghana that was shut out since last year, Kenya, Nigeria, and many others. I think right now the conditions are just difficult for anybody to access. So the financing is coming from a globally driven issue. And then secondly is, I think, domestic as well, where you've got inflation everywhere and central banks in the domestic market are also raising rates, so it becomes difficult for countries to borrow within the domestic markets. You've got... Um... Rusika says worldwide economic slowdown means many African governments are unable to access the euro bond market. This consists of banks, borrowers, investors and trading agents that buy, sell and transfer euro bonds. Euro bonds are a special kind of bond issued by European governments and companies and countries use them to pay debts in currencies such as the dollar. Because most African countries haven't been able to secure euro bonds, says Rusika, the continent shouldn't see many debt defaults going into 2023. But there's a case to be made for some countries to consider restructuring. I think we've got Zambia already in the process of doing so. We've got Ethiopia, which has asked for common framework similarly to Chad. And Ghana is asking for a program with the IMF, which could involve some discussions around restructuring. Without proper debt restructuring, says the UNDP, poverty will spike and investments in climate change adaptation and mitigation won't happen. That, it says, will mean ever-worsening economic conditions on the continent and regular food shortages and even famines. The common framework that Rusike speaks of is led by the powerful G20 countries. It's a plan designed to help regions plunged into financial trouble by the COVID-19 pandemic. The UNDP has proposed that all heavily indebted countries are eligible for it, to help them restructure debt repayments. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce's U.S. Africa Business Center is holding its first Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups. VOA is a media partner with the Africa Business Center in this initiative. Out of 17,000 candidates in 50 countries in Africa, the top 10 finalists have been decided, and for the next two weeks, we will bring you a look at each one. Today, we hear from Benjamin B.C. Esudu from Ghana. His company, Tread Rex, is helping farmers and their communities boost production and sale by connecting them to international markets. I'm Benjamin Baisesudu. I'm 32 years old from Accra, Ghana. I'm the CEO and co founder of Trader X Ghana Limited. Now, the Digital Innovation Competition is to us a prestigious um, competition and also gives a cash investment. Uh, I think furthermore, it also um, provides its winners with uh, mentorship and that for us, you know, is more than we actually 
were looking for, so it was more than a perfect fit for us. The distinction to be a part of the top 10 in the whole of Africa uh, for us really validates the potential of our mission and our vision at TraderX to support uh, smallholder farmers in Africa. So TraderX is basically an agricultural commodity trading company. Essentially, what we are actually doing is uplifting smallholder farmers and their communities by elevating their production and boosting trade of their commodities to the wider international markets, and we are doing that through formalized exchanges. Um, for the farmers, uh, we are supporting them and providing them with services that will improve their yields, will reduce their post-harvest losses, and ultimately help them to earn more and do less manual work. For the market right now, as the world is coming for new sources of commodities, you know, Trader Eggs is connecting local farmers to the wider international market to meet this demand. The first thing we will do if we win the competition, we will celebrate. Having an endorsement or this type of endorsement from such a prestigious third party will be invaluable to our fundraising efforts. That was Benjamin Baisi-Siedu from Ghana, founder of Tred Rex, which is one of the ten finalists in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's First Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups. We'll hear from all ten finalists over the next several days, and you can check out voaafrica.com for all the competitors and the winners who will be announced later this month. The search is on for Africa's best and brightest minds in finance, cybersecurity, technology, and anything digital. Making social impact through cutting-edge technologies, innovation, and creativity in Africa. Out of 17,000 candidates from 50 countries in North, Central, East, West, and Southern Africa, only three will be selected from the top 10 continental finalists from Egypt, Nigeria, Ghana, Zimbabwe, Kenya, and Cameroon. Join the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and its prestigious partners, including the Voice of America, when the three finalists are featured at the U.S. Africa Leaders Summit in December 2022 in Washington. Stay tuned. A governor in central Somalia has announced rewards of up to $25,000 for anyone who kills an Islamist militant with the Al-Shabaab terrorist group. The governor of Hiran region also directed military and clan militias to kill the wives and mothers of Al-Shabaab members. Rights groups and security experts expressed alarm at the call for extrajudicial killings, as Ahmed Mohammed reports from Mogadishu. Iran regional governor Ali Jaita announced at a news conference Sunday that his administration will reward those who kill Ashabab militants in the ongoing war in central Somalia region. The governor's remarks come amid intense fighting in the Iran and Gilgadut regions in central Somalia against Ashabab. Unlike in the past, civilians have joined with the military to wage war against the militant group. 
He says, whoever kills an Al-Shabaab fighter will be given 5,000 U.S. dollars. Those who kill senior Al-Shabaab commanders will be given 10,000 U.S. dollars, while anyone who kills top leaders like Ali Dere, a Shabaab spokesperson, will be given a reward of 25,000 U.S. dollars. The ongoing joint operation between the military and civilians have been hailed as a decisive action against Al-Shabaab, which still controls large swaths of territory in south-central Somalia. The Somali government has said it will deploy all means necessary to finish off the militant group. According to JT, that includes going after Al-Shabaab family members. JT says, I want Al-Shabaab wives and mothers to be killed. The decision to go after relatives of Al-Shabaab members has human rights activists concerned. Abdullahi Hassan, a researcher for Amnesty International, told FOA that targeting Al-Shabaab families is a violation of international human rights. Under international humanitarian law, parties to a conflict are required to at all times distinguish between combatants and civilians. Parties are also required to take all feasible precautions to spare civilian lives and objects. In the case of Somalia, both government and allied forces and others, including regional and international actors, and the armed group Al-Shabaab are required to respect international law and not to target civilians. Abdaziz Hussein Isaac is a security analyst with the Hamad bin Khalifa Civilization Center, a cultural and research center based in Denmark. Isaac echoed similar concerns, adding that the move would be counterproductive. In Isaac says targeting Al-Shabaab families and children is risky because Al-Shabaab is not aliens or satans. They are part of the citizenship. Although there might be some foreign individuals, but 90% are Somalis. Therefore, so when their families, including innocent children, are attacked, it could help Al-Shabaab get support from the clans of these families. Isaac says the bounty is a positive step, saying countries such as United States have already placed bounties on several Ashabab leaders. He adds the bounty could motivate soldiers and clan militias to increase their efforts in hunting down the terror group's figureheads. Isaac says the bounty can be held by the international community. Some Ashabab figures and other international terror groups have millions of dollars in bounties on their heads. Therefore, the international community might encourage the bounties and support the government to fulfill its promises. The Somalia government has announced bounties in the past on Ashabab, but mainly focused on information sharing from the public. The federal government also declared in 2018 it would compensate traders whose premises were destroyed during terrorist attacks. There have been no public declaration on whether those promises were kept. It therefore remains unclear the new directive will be honored. Ahmed Mohamed for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. The UN mission in Mali, MINUSMA, says a fourth peacekeeper has died after an attack yesterday. Reuters says they were on a search and detection mission when their vehicle hit an improvised explosive device in the northern region of Kidal. Authorities blame the attack on Islamic militants linked to Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. MINUSMA has 12,000 personnel in Mali. 
The UN says extremists have used IEDs and mines to kill 74 peacekeepers since the start of the mission nine years ago. The explosive devices also killed 103 civilians and injured 297 last year. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Yehayas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Rob McLean, thanks for choosing The Voice of America.